breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. And yes, this is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome. Welcome to Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is always great to be with you and thank you for joining me again this week if you've listened before and if you're tuning in new i hope you're looking for a voice of reason a voice of an american muslim who loves his country loves his faith but is not ashamed to take on the radicals and point out the areas that really are the problem and realize that this is a muslim problem that needs a muslim solution every week i take on those issues that the pc police just will not address in the main lamestream media we'll talk about them here in the short time that we have together week to week thank you for joining me and it is just breaks my heart this week that the world the sri lankans had to live through what apparently appears to be the worst single carnage since 9-11 completed by radical Islamist group. It appears to be ISIS that has done this. We're not surprised if you look at what happened on Easter Sunday. Again, not surprising. Eight different bombs go off, seven locations, four hotels with Americans, Brits, Indians, folks from all over the world visiting Sri Lanka. Three churches were destroyed, bombed with Reports initially climbing into the 350s, 360s dead, over six, 700 injured. Now those numbers are ratcheting back. In the past few days, they're saying now maybe 250, 260. Bottom line is, is the carnage is heinous. And you look at the operation, you know, you, you have to look at where we are as a, as a community. And after each one of these, there's always the initial, you don't want to rush to judgment. You don't want to rush to conclusions and then be proven that you really had no idea what you were talking about. But also, you have to be realistic. You have to look at the signs and learn from them quickly so that we can begin as a community to understand, you know, I'm a doctor, I treat disease. And when a patient comes in with a certain set of symptoms, I think of the most common things being common. Rare things are rare. Patient comes in with a cough, congestion, and fever. That's likely bronchitis or pneumonia. It's not probably an allergy to licorice. So these things will be on your list, yes. And these bombs go off. ISIS is is reconstituting itself. Well, it never really got deconstituted. It just lost its territory. And then people said, well, why would this happen in Sri Lanka? They've not had any terror. They had terror with the Tamil Tigers versus the Buddhist militants. But that ended in 2009, 10 years ago. And they've not had any significant acts since that civil war ended. And yet, people were saying, yeah, but why Sri Lanka? Six to seven percent of the population are Muslim. Seven, eight, nine percent are Christian. Ten percent Hindus. 
60-70% Buddhist, a Buddhist-majority country. And you look, that percentage of Muslims is higher than many other countries in the West. America has 1-2%. to And we've talked about the threat of ISIS militancy, Al-Qaeda, and others since the beginning of this war, be it from the 79 hostage crisis to 93 World Trade Center bombing and the significant, most heinous attack on our country since World War II, which was the attack on 9-11. This was Sri Lanka's 9-11. And radical Islamist groups have a global jihad. The coordination of the attack proved that they had not only bomb-making training from outside of Sri Lanka, but the coordination all going off at the same time with the communications, suicide bombings, and others that were all done simultaneously is not only the hallmark of ISIS or Al-Qaeda, but it is the global jihad, jihadism, the militants. And people said, well, why did it take them three days to claim credit? Well, remember when they post their credit, it's through their their communication arm, Amak. Amak has continued to post communications from ISIS's command and control. God knows where that is. Too bad we haven't been able to find it, but we've not been able to find it despite all of our technology as that gets released into the ether and places like Site Intel and other reporters seem to find it right away. And they find it because they're good at what they do. And ISIS wants people to find it. Now, as you look at that, they had the details of the bombers, which ones wore vests, which ones threw bombs, which ones committed suicide. Details that nobody would have known otherwise. So it was clearly an ISIS operation. It may take a few days till they know it succeeded and then they release the information and it gets out. And then we start to get the details of the cell. The cell is constituted by an imam, Sheikh Muhammad Hashmi. And now people are saying, oh, they knew he was radical. There are even reports that mosques in Sri Lanka had reported the threat. Had reported the threat to police. This is where some of the domestic dysfunction in Sri Lanka then obviously played a role. The Indian intelligence had reported it and had been ignored a few weeks before. Ignored either because of incompetence, negligence, or actual political retribution for whatever reason to try to destabilize the regime or the the government itself. The facts will come out. And then Sri Lankan security said that this was revenge from from the attacks in New Zealand, the mosque attacks. The acts of terror com- committed by the militant in March, March 15th, I believe, where over 50 were killed and hundreds injured as two mosques were terrorized by a militant. 
extremist who was originally Australian now I have to tell you I there's no proof yet and ISIS even may even say that it was retribution but the coordination of this kind of attack in Sri Lanka that included un- eight bombs if not more that included coordination messaging training all of this did not get planned in four weeks it's actually three three and a half four weeks so if that did not get planned in that long this was being planned in three four months at least and once it gets planned they're not going to sit around and wait till some big event happens You can say, well, this maybe was planned six months ago and they were waiting to declare. No, I don't think so. The timing was going to be in April. That's how these things work. These people should have been found, actually, despite their high-level training. And they still should have been exposed before the attack happened, as many of these attacks are exposed. So at the end of the day, the Islamists, the militants, will, will, will plan it and then try to pin it to whatever they can in order to get their message out. Sri Lanka was attacked because of their weak security service, because of the fact that the ISIS militants divide the world into the land of Islam, Darul Islam and Darul Harb, as the militant jihadist war manuals and the Islamic historical Sharia application is that the world of Islam is the land where Sharia is applied where Sharia is not applied and Muslims are a minority, it's the land of war. And now the moderates, as I've discussed on this podcast before, the moderates are saying, well, we should have the land of Aqad, the land of contract, where we live peacefully in contract. Well, I reject that because if you're living in contract as a minority, you're saying that when you become a majority, you'll have the land Darul Islam and you'll impose Sharia. So that all gets... If you truly are a moderate, that all needs to be thrown out the window. There's no more land of Islam. There's no more Islamic State. There's no more caliphate. There's no more jihadist military or jihad. There's only a secular, free, liberal state. But ISIS doesn't want that. ISIS committed another act. Why? The militant groups, ladies and gentlemen, seek opportunity. They seek vulnerability. And they seek a message. Sri Lanka's weak security services, lack of a previous attack, gave them opportunity. Vulnerability. As Nina Shea Hudson said this week, and others, so many have said, the Christian minorities in countries where they're a minority are a soft target. They're not protected. Religious facilities are often soft targets. And it sends a message that this is against Christians, it is against diversity, against religious freedom. Those are the messages that the militant jihadists are sending. And the other message is that ISIS is saying, you may think we've lost our caliphate, you may think that we've lost our land, but we are as strong as ever. And that's the message. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, there was the attack in Kabul, Another hundred or so passed, including some of our military, a month ago. Congo now. Congo is is demonstrating a 
reconstitution, a resurgence, an insurgence of ISIS's foothold in Congo. Saudi Arabia on that same Sunday had an attack that was thwarted. An attack by ISIS that was thwarted by the Saudi government. And again, we can't verify that, but it's likely very true. So, they may have been decimated in Syria, they may have been decimated in Iraq and Libya, but now they're reconstituting elsewhere and they will continue. As so many, as so many have talked about before, ISIS will continue to find opportunity and and get its foothold. The global jihad is as strong as ever. And as we look at the attacks, we need to realize that this is a global war. We can no longer stop looking for domestic reasons all the time. Yes, this cell was radicalized. These are homegrown Sri Lankans, but they're known wolves, not lone wolves. As we've said before, these were known wolves. But they were part of the global jihad. And this imam... This sheikh, this radical militant, wasn't just some weird sheikh like the Tunisian sheikh we talked about in France or like the uh, sheikh from Italy that then ended up committing the Christmas bombing and uh, Christmas vehicular jihad, rather. This sheikh was Sri Lankan, may have been from Pakistani origin, but he also was close, had pictures with Imam Yusuf Qardawi. Who's Yusuf Kardawi? If you don't know who he is, you need to know who Kardawi is. He has a show on Al Jazeera out of Qatar called Sharia and Life with tens and tens of millions, 60 million viewers every week. He's getting close to 90. His protege was going to be Tariq Ramadan. This guy, Sheikh Kardawi, is the guide, the spiritual guide. Now he sometimes coyly rejects it, but... He's basically, ideologically, the spiritual guide of the Muslim Brotherhood. In our organization, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, we were for years translating his Arabic work into English. And we did that from 2009-2011. He had some pieces on democratization and what Islamic democracy is. He described it as majoritocracy. And sure enough, 2011 comes. The Arab awakening happens. And the Islamists are ready to move full force. This guy may not have been the political head of the Brotherhood, but ideologically, the cancer cells of operationalizing populist Islamist so-called democratic movements, these are not democratic, they're theocratic movements under guise of populism. So the sheikhs from all over the world, just like drinking from the trough of Wahhabism, from Saudi Arabia, also drank from Qatar's Islamism of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, those two entities on the Sunni side are at war. The Saudis have disconnected themselves from the Brotherhood, have stopped their global funding, have marginalized the clerics that were affiliated and beginning to rein in political Islam. Now, they're not anti-political Islam. They say they are because that political Islam means a democratic voting with a populist drive, but their Sharia state still exists. So I'm not convinced that the ideology coming out of the Saudis is any less 
Islamists, it's just not as populist. It's corporate Islamism. We've talked about that here before, too. But the Sheikh was photo. There's a photo that was immediately found of his contact with Sheikh Qardawi. So this is not, it might be just a tiny cell. It doesn't mean that Qardawi coordinated it, but it tells you of this pool that these radicals swim in. That the pool, just like ISIS was basically founded by, by a former Muslim Brotherhood leader, and Al-Qaeda has a lot of Muslim Brotherhood leaders that have been on the conveyor belt from the Muslim Brotherhood. These Islamist doctrines will radicalize. <laughs> because at its core, it's a radical theocratic doctrine. Our prayers are with this Sri Lankan people as they try to put together their societies back together. We're with them in this fight. We need to renew. We need to renew our resolve. I pulled a quote. Pulled a quote from Bin Laden. Yeah, Bin Laden, ladies and gentlemen. Why would I do that? Well, you look at the quote. And this is from 2004. An audio interview in which he, Osama Bin Laden, was interviewed on Al Jazeera. Remember that time we were always wondering, how did Al Jazeera get interviews with bin Laden? How did Al Jazeera get the videos of the beheadings of American troops? How did, and we were trying to say, hey, listen, these are, this is an Islamist news propaganda agency. They're close to these. Oh, no, 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 no. They're our allies. Qatar is our allies. It can't be doing that. Nobody wanted to listen to us. And now, finally, during the Trump administration, finally, post-Arab awakening, People are starting to realize that the Islamists are not good people. The ruling family of the Qataris are not good people. Sheikh Yusuf Qartawi, the guy who said that Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, he loves them, he said. Look at the memory videos. It shows that. And here's a guy who, yeah, he is, uh, he is part of what's called a Wasatiya movement, which is a, I can't even say it, he called it, it's a moderation movement. The guy's not a moderate, but he's been a Holocaust denier and many others. But he still comes across, he's got books on reform, on on what's halal and haram and, and what's what's forbidden and what's permitted in, in Islam that could come across to the naive as being 21st century, but bottom line is is it's 13th century Islam with a 2.0 to it. Let me quote for you Bin Laden from 2004. He said, Thus the situation of all Arab countries suffers from great deterioration in all walks of life, in the religious and worldly matters. We have reached this miserable situation because many of us lack the correct and comprehensive understanding of the religion of Islam. Many of us understand Islam to mean performing some acts of worship, such as prayer and fasting. But despite the great importance of these rituals, the religion of Islam encompasses all the affairs of life, including the religious and worldly affairs, such as the economic, the military, and the political affairs. Al Jazeera 2004, Osama bin Laden. 
So you listen to that, and people are now wringing their hands on Sri Lanka, and they're saying, the first thing the Sri Lankan security forces said in their press conference after this attack was, we, we thought we, the, these individuals were, for the vast part, from very upstanding, I don't know the word upstanding, but educated families. And the term educated was repeated many times in national international media. Why is that a surprise? Yes, they're educated. The Muslim brothers are called the Ikhwan al-Muhandisin, the brothers of engineers, the brotherhood of engineers. Because they're all educated, but they're not liberals. They're not Western secular thinkers based in reason. They are scientists. They are technocrats who take orders from their sheikh, from their sharia lords. Bin Laden was an engineer. So this quote should tell you that this is what we're battling for. Yes, just like any faith, Muslims believe that Islam encompasses every moment of your life to be good to people. God judges you. Are you humble? Are you honest? Are you deceptive or are you transparent? Are you generous or are you a criminal? All these things are part of being Muslim, just like they're part of being Jewish and part of being Christian. But that last part when he said it encompasses the economic, military, and political affairs, that's what we need to reform. And until we Muslims reform that, Bin Laden's words, and you look at the Islamists that supposedly now are giving advice about anti-terrorism, many of them, from the Shadi Hamids of Brookings to, to others, they give advice about how Islamic exceptionalism, as Shadi called it, Islamic exceptionalism will tell you that it should be part of the economic, military, and political affairs, but a more moderate, nonviolent, uh, a, 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 a ecumenical one. I'm sorry, but the West has proven, and you may say that, well, you don't have to follow the West in everything, but I think universal human rights prove that unless government separates and prevents the establishment of religion— and that people come together under the rubric of a societal contract of equality of all under the law, not under Islamic law, but under the law. And that a source of law is your faith, but not the source of law. Society will fail miserably. You have to have a commonality for it to succeed. And we yet have no counter to that. Bin Laden's words from 2004, after he had successfully inflicted unbelievable pain on the greatest country on the planet, we still have not coordinated a Muslim offense, a Western offense, against this idea that Islam includes all affairs of the life, including religious and worldly affairs, such as economic, military, and political affairs. This is exactly the verbiage of Yusuf Qardawi of this, I'm sure, of this cell out of Sri Lanka. Yes, we defeated them militarily in their caliphate based out of Raqqa in Iraq and in the Middle East, but they will continue to reconstitute. In fact, ISIS was most successful for many years before they even had land mass. So the jihad, the war against jihad isn't over. And what is the West doing? Oh, we are too busy 
writing press releases about Easter worshipers. I'm like, what, what, what is an Easter worshiper? Oh, oh, you mean Christians? Christians that were attacked, President Obama? No, not Eastern worshipers. Secretary of State Clinton, she wrote about Easter worshipers. What is that coming out of some Democratic talking point? That's what they were posting on Twitter. We, our hearts go out to the Easter worshipers. And yet you look at what was posted after the New Zealand attack and our hearts and prayers are with the Muslim community and the Muslims that were targeted in this heinous act of terror. So why can a minority group like Muslims get the sense of being part of the community in the world by being identified by their faith, but Christians can't even mention the name of their faith when they are the brunt of heinous attacks of terror? That is identity politic run amok and pathological to the point of showing weakness globally that doesn't allow reformers to feel that we can have the strength of a platform to defend what the West is because it's not even proud of itself. It's meek. Our political leaders are meek. In my own state here in Arizona, Governor Doug Ducey had a a great post talking about the religious meaning to him of Easter. Talking about the Savior and what he has risen for. What's wrong with that? That is his belief. And certainly folks on the left said that, oh, if they weren't Christian, that's offensive. And he said, I'm going to leave it up. It's my post. Just like I will all other recognitions of other faiths on their holidays. And this is what the left has become. It's become about identity politic to tell our leaders that only if they're Christian, once they become leaders and in the public space, they can't identify their faith. But if they're not Christian, then, oh, they will wrap themselves around their faith. And if it's Ilhan Omar, we will continue to hear about her hijab and her Islam and her persecution and we will turn a blind eye to her anti-Semitism and her anti-Zionism and her educational process and rehab politically is done publicly on the expense of Congress as if somehow getting elected to Congress first and then an intellectual rehab happens second while she offends everyone on the planet, including most recently, by the way, this week we saw John Rasamander from the Investigative Project unroof a tweet from just two years ago, from 2017, in which Congresswoman Omar said that Americans were responsible for the deaths of thousands of Somalis as a part of Black Hawk Down. And she was disagreeing with Senator Franken. Remember, she was in the Minnesota State House at this time, right before her election. She was disagreeing with Senator Franken that said that a recent attack at the time had been the worst terrorist attack in Somali history. And she said, no, the worst one was when Americans killed thousands. First of all, the numbers were heinously off. And everybody that the Americans killed were terrorists and part of the Adid clan. And by the way, I take this personally, ladies and gentlemen. Personally, I was a naval officer. And beyond being a naval officer, I was part of Operation Restore Hope. I was on the USS El Paso 
joined them as they returned. I joined them in the Med. I was not offshore in Somalia, but we were a part of Operation Restore Hope. I joined them in July. Our ship participated in that operation until September 1993. Black Hawk Down happened in October. We were back in Norfolk in September, but we knew many of the people that had participated as some of the ships that we were in theater with remain there. And we saw this week heroes that had been on helicopters that had downed or been participated or new folks that they lost, our heroes, our sons and daughters, were just inflamed beyond belief to read what a sitting member of Congress said about our troops. And this is relevant, folks, not just to continue to pile on on the radical Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Yeah, she's radical, but America is getting an education about the red-green axis of the left and the Islamists. America is getting an education about the worldview of political Islam, the worldview on how they see whenever acts of war and terrorism happen, it's always America's fault. The numbers are inflated. They ignore monsters like Muhammad Adid and his animals that were part of his Gangs that took the food that we were delivering. That was called by some, in some ways a bit pejoratively, the CNN war because we got dragged into tribal conflict because of a famine in which hundreds of thousands were dying. So we took droves of food but realized that military needed to to deliver it because of the situation on the ground there. And my ship, before I joined it, had been there delivering food. We had special ops SEALs and and, and, uh, Delta Force and others working off the ships to help some of this get delivered. We'd put the food down and realize that then Adid's folks would surround it and start to demand ransom to deliver it to the people. So we put a stop to that. And then they took some of our guys hostage and we needed a rescue operation that involved helicopters that they then downed and we went in to save them and hundreds of their militants died doing that. A few civilians. Look at the report. Smithsonian.org has a full historical account of it. And yet, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar leaves before that war. She was born in 81, I believe. Leaves, I think, in 91 or 92 and goes, I think, to Congo and then elsewhere and becomes a refugee and comes to the United States. And then the stories she reads about are that America committed this act. Hats off to John Rosamondo, the investigative project, Terrorism, to unroof this, because I think it shows a couple things. First, that the left has been silent. This story has gone viral. It's been reported from the Wall Street Journal with Carl Rove's writings to The Guardian to Newsweek to IPT to Bloomberg and elsewhere. And the left has said nothing. 
hasn't been covered on CNN, hasn't been covered by any of the Democratic presidential candidates. They've not been asked about it. I think Congresswoman Omar should say something. Her tweet still is testimony to her radicalism about America. But they realize if they had to comment on this, it will expose. There's no dodging like they did on the anti-Semitism that she's just being misunderstood about Israel. There's no dodging like she did on some people somewhere that it's taken out of context. You can't take out of context that she thinks that American troops are killers that she put hashtag on that tweet, not today Satan. Satan is America, according to Ilhan Omar. That's the Islamist narrative. So America's getting educated. It's not just about Ilhan Omar. It is about the Islamists. When I was a naval officer, and I was then after USSL passed, so coming back from Operation Restore Hope, going to finish my training at the Bethesda Naval Hospital, I then went to present a paper at the Islamic Medical Society, Islamic Medical Association with the head of endocrinology, Muhammad Shakir, and both of us went to present that. He was, by the way, the endocrinologist for President Bush, Bush 41. We went to the Islamic Society of North America. I, I talk about this in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam. We went to the Islamic Society of North America, and I'm walking through their bazaar. And there's a table there for the Somali Relief Fund. And the Somali Relief Fund has brochures on it. So I went to look at it. I said, oh, this is interesting. I was I was there a couple, I was on a ship that had just come back from there. And there it is, brochures. Help stop the imperialization of the Horn of Africa by the American military. Help stop foreign interventions in Somalia by the American military. Help stop the death of innocents by the American military. And I looked at that and I, I, I was beyond upset. I asked the teenagers sitting behind that table if they knew any American military or talked to any that had been there. They said, well, why, why does that matter? I said, it matters because I served aboard ship of, with tens, hundreds that had been there. And this is complete unmitigated BS. Islamist propaganda that you have on this table and you should be ashamed of yourself. The Somali warlords would be proud of this fascist material. And I left angry. This is the Islamic side of North America. A, a Muslim Brotherhood legacy group with countless connections to radicalization. And yet, they've been attempt to be normalized by both parties. Left more than right, but both parties. So, the education about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is an education for all of America and the West. Because as the Pelosi's and AOC's of the world take cute little photo ops with her on the Rolling Stone magazine, and as she gets her front page cover on Vogue Arabia, they're normalizing Islamist ideology and Different than her predecessor, Keith Ellison, she has no filter. Ellison, even though he came from a similar radical background with Louis Farrakhan and deep anti-Semitism and separatism, he 
didn't really seek the headlines of pushing the envelope of the fringe like Omar does because she's empowered by the other fringe folks of Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez and others. It's become vogue and Rashida Tlaib, the Palestinian radical out of Dearborn, is also doing the same thing. So, this is important, ladies and gentlemen. It's important because now you're starting to see the world that we live in. For years, I've seen not the vast majority of American Muslims want their kids to be in the military, want to serve this country, but they're not running the societies that are, are teaching and spreading our faith, that are educating our kids in faith. No, it's the... It's the ones that are just business people and left that activism that are just staying silent. And I'm sorry, folks, as long as you stay silent, these Islamists are going to represent us. And today, Ilhan Omar represents American Muslims. And she is not only definitely a Muslim, she is leading our community. And MoveOn.org just guaranteed her support in the next election cycle. Pelosi is sitting on her hands and lips tight, not criticizing any of the radical ideas that she says. So we need to criticize them because she's representing us. Her offense and disgust for American military represents American Muslims, whether it's a minority opinion or not. I think it is a minority opinion among most American Muslims, but currently it's perceived as a majority, and that's why the left is quiet about it. And at some point, this is going to circle back on us. And this is what our Muslim reform movement is about, is getting diversity and different ideas out into the public square. So, ladies and gentlemen, we had our little Ilhan Omar update. Yeah, it seems like week to week. I heard some you know wonky types say, well, why do we keep talking about her? Ignore, she's a freshman ignoramus of a congressperson. Uh, she doesn't represent, well, you know, she represents whatever size her district is. And there's a clinic there for political Islam. So if you're a wonk that lives in Washington that thinks that, you know, the, the more analytical, nuanced approach. No, the activists across the world, across the country, are starting to get an education about political Islam. And she is the vehicle for that education because she is pr the most prominent one with almost a million followers. So, yes, as much as we should hear about AOC and Bernie Sanders and all these other radicals, we should hear about Ilhan Omar and begin to get an education about the red-green axis of socialist-Islamist axis that drives the UN, that drives the world, and drives now the United States policy. Not currently the White House policy or that on the right, but a lot of the policy on the left and a lot of the media attention on the left. It's been great talking to you this week. I hope we worked through the heinous attacks in Sri Lanka. I sort of set the, the context of where, where we are there, what the root cause is, the fact that we should awaken to reinvigorate our fight against the global jihad and what we're for, how this has been what the global jihad has been about from bin Laden on back, and how all these issues drill down to the same thing, which is 
love for America, love for our troops, love for our freedom and liberty, and fight against political Islam. As always, an honor to be your humble American Muslim patriot and correspondent. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Tune in every week at theblaze.com backslash podcast. Find us on SoundCloud. Find me on iTunes. And tell your friends about our podcast. Talk about things here that they just won't hear anywhere else. God bless. Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.